It is wonderful to be here with you. Wonderful to see some of you again that uh, we have seen before. I have thoroughly enjoyed this series that Alex has been preaching. And so I'm going to sort of tag on to it and connect with it because I'm just wanting to be a part of it. Um, as you know, uh, you have quite a treasure in Alex. Um, I, I'm sure that you realize that. I certainly recognize it and realize it. I listen to maybe five different pastors from across the world, and Alex is one of them. Yeah. Um, so, as I said, I'm really excited about being a part of this series. So, I've entitled my uh, sermon today, Walking with Jesus into the Church of the Future. I don't know that my ideas are as organized as I'd like them to be, but hopefully you will be blessed. If you are lacking some continuity. I have notes that you can pick up later try to figure out where I was going. Um, or feel free to just ask me a question. But as a matter of introduction, I want to cover the points that Alex has already covered because I think they were fantastic. The future church, or churches in the future, future churches, will depend on the Holy Spirit instead of clever strategies. We'll gather around dinner tables instead of in services. There are churches where that's the only thing they do is they get together, they prepare dinner, they eat dinner together, and then they share and have a service after. Uh, number three, we'll heal and help instead of abuse and ignore. Number four, we'll be bold about the things that matter and quiet about the things that don't. I love that one. Number five, we spoke in well of. Number six, led by leaders who delegate instead of control and dominate. Number seven, be willing to die instead of being unwilling to be inconvenienced. And number eight, want and welcome outcasts and undesirables instead of being gatekeepers using shape. I am happy that when I was one of those undesirables, my church welcomed me in and uh, mentored me to where I am today. Alex recognizes a very important fact that the contemporary church is at a crossroads, and the way that we move forward will depend on whether we are successful in God's eyes. Now, the stubborn thing about institutions are there may be churches that are unsuccessful in God's eyes that will continue to look good for another hundred years. But we want to be successful in God's eyes. And God is using current challenges in the church to bring his people to a point where they fall on their knees and ask, how God is it that you would have us respond? How should we respond to these issues? A question, a very important question when we talk about the future of the church or really the future of anything is, how do we define success? This was a very important question in my ministry. As Pastor said, I have I pastored church as a senior pastor for 20 years. I've been in ministry for a little over 40. Uh, and there were times when it was very difficult. Times when I would look around and see the church, I think, should be growing and it's shrinking. Or people should be growing and they seem to be losing ground. Or we thought we'd be in a better building by now, and it seems like the one we're in is the same, it's just falling apart now. And nobody wants to help keep it together. And through that, I went through some very difficult times where I saw the words and what 
what is it? Why did they seem so successful? Why are there bigger buildings and bigger crowds and more programs and all of this? And you're not. And I, I ask God to, defend, to define success for me. And in those tears and in that prayer and in those, that fasting, I came with the answer that I am going to give you today. And that is that success before God is simply obedience to God that is founded in relationship with Him. It may look like the exact opposite of success to the world. You may look like the church size may be shrinking. Uh, things may not look successful at all. But true success to God is obedience to the Father through and based on relationship with Him. So we'll look at our text today. Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. It'll be up on the slides for you. Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. Part of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the will of the Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? Or, Lord, Lord, didn't I build a huge church? Didn't we have the biggest building? Didn't we have the most programs? There will be people that will stand before the Lord one day and, and try to base their definition of success on things that the world thinks are successful, and they may hear the exact same thing that Jesus said these people will hear. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Now, I don't know if they prophesied. I don't know if they performed miracles or not. They said they did. But the point for Jesus was, I didn't know you. We did not have the relationship that I sought with you. And because of that, whatever you did was not in alignment with what I was looking for. So my point then is that Jesus made clear that the indicators of success that his hearers thought were important were not the indicators of success that he viewed as important. Obedience to God based in relationship. Remember it said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of the Father. Obedience. And then Jesus said, I will tell them when I never knew you. Relationship. That word knew is a Greek word, ergon, which is rooted in the word ganasco, which means to know through first-hand experience. It's the same word know that's used of sexual relations. When Mary said, how can I be pregnant? I have never known a man. It's the same word. So we should have this intimate relationship with Jesus. And if we have that relationship, and in that relationship, we learn what he is teaching us and follow that direction, that's the obedience. That's true success. John chapter 15, verses 13 to 15. That was at the beginning of the ministry we were hearing what Jesus said before. This is at the end of his ministry, the night before the cross. Greater love has no man than this, than that he laid down, that he laid down one's life for one's friends. 
Isn't that amazing that we are called friends of God? I mean, think about that. You are my friends if you do what I command. Relationship, obedience, and go hand in hand. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. We're going to walk this out together. If we want to be successful as a future church, we need to do it walking together with Jesus into that. Now, obedience outside of relationship is just like slavery. But obedience to God in relationship is a cooperation with the creator of the universe that I somehow get invited into. And there is something extremely exciting about that. Now, how do we apply this? How do we make it more practical? You'll notice there on the slide, I have a paintbrush, and that's the reason for that is truth like paint is useless unless it's applied. I've said that several times, even in, in this church. I said it almost everywhere I go. If my wife wanted a kitchen painted, and she had, if I had a can of paint there and the brush and the little stirring stick all laid out in the kitchen, She's not happy. It's not until I open the can up and get some paint on the brush and some paint on the wall that something has taken place. And so we know success before God is obedience and success before God is, is relationship. What are some ways that that could, uh, we could see how that works out for us in real life? Now what I've chosen to do is to take a look at how that comes out in the church, the institution, and how that takes place in our own life. So we'll look at that briefly. The number one, the church. The future church must be prophetic rather than political. Now, before you start throwing anything at me, let me explain myself. I am not anti-politics. Howard Dean once said in an interview, politics is a substitute for war. Politics may be ugly, there may be all kinds of problems, but it's not as bad as changing power through gun, through gun, you know, gunfights. And I love my country. I have relatives who served in World War I, World War II. When I go to a baseball game or a football game and they play the national anthem, my hat comes out, my hand goes over my heart, and generally, although I shouldn't really admit this, on film, I cry. So I, I need to understand that about me when I talk about politics and the prophetic. However, I know that this country, as wonderful as it is, is not my real home. Like Abraham in Hebrews chapter 11, I am looking forward to a city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. This is great, but there is something far greater, and I want to help to build the kingdom of God on earth by my participation in the future church. As it says in Hebrews 13, 14, for here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. Now I do believe that every individual Christian should be prayerfully involved in politics at a level appropriate with their gifting, and that every Christian should 
vote. And there's a distinction between Christians being political and the church being political. The church must never be married to a political party. There are times where it's very clear which party lines itself up more with things in the scripture, but there are always times where both parties have something right and both parties have some things wrong. Once we become married to a party, then we can't speak truth to it. The church should never be married to a political party. She is the bride of Christ, the bride of no one else. And we do not want to cheat on the Lord with any political party. We need to be able to speak truth through it. This independence from political parties became clear to me years ago when I was once again wrestling with what I should do. From a scripture I read in Joshua chapter 5, verses 13 through 15. Now think about this. Imagine yourself in this situation, in the geopolitical uh, conflict between the Hebrews and the people inside of Jericho, inside of their safe little wall. Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Now this is the general, this is the man leading the nation. He sees this guy with a sword. Joshua went up to him, brave guy, and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? Now this is an angel of the Lord with him. He's for the Hebrews, of course. But the reply is, neither. He replied. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, What message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army said, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. Whose side are you on? You're the angel of the Lord. You must be on the side of the Hebrews. No, I'm not on either side. Your little skirmishes are not as important as the overall will of God. And do you understand? You are in the you're in the, the, the audience of an angel. You are on holy ground. For this reason, when I was pastoring for those 20 years, I never spoke politics from the pulpit. Because this was a holy death. And the message was way more important than politics. Now, did I speak about morality? Yes. Did I speak about the issues of the day? Yes. But I never said this is the candidate you should vote for or the party you should go with. Because God is bigger than all of that. And when we see that, all these other things become smaller. And they're not worth us arguing fighting, putting things online that isolate us from those we wish to minister to. If you become a Republican church, you shut yourself off to half the population. If you become a Democrat church, you shut yourself off to half the nation. If you become a church that focuses on the purpose and the will of God and a relationship with Jesus Christ who died for you, you are open to minister to everyone. What do I mean by being prophetic? That means to represent the voice of God to the people and to the powers that be 
through faithful communication and Christ-like example. Secondly, the future church must do God's work God's way. The church is not a club. The church is not a business. The church is not an institution. She is the bride of Christ composed of many members who are all in love with their Lord. We were in a meeting once, my wife and I, and a woman who, as we were in, it must have been an hour of wonderful worship. A woman came up and said, God showed me a picture. May I share the picture? And so the, the people in charge said, sure, go ahead. And she said, I, I looked down and it was like it was a black sky. There were all of these different colored stars. And all of a sudden, they started swirling around. And all of these, what appeared to be stars, started coming closer together and closer together and closer together. And they started forming a dress. And then they started forming the rest of this beautiful bride. And then Jesus walked in. And took her hand and they danced around the universe. And she said, Then I got to see closer this picture. And all of those things that I thought were stars were individual people from every color, every color and every country, and every nation, and every tongue. And they they made up the bride of Christ. And as they came together, Jesus danced lovingly, lovingly with her across the universe. That's what the church is. We are not a club, we're not an institution, we're not a business, and we shouldn't be run like one. What are some of the things we can do? We must prioritize character over charisma in our leaders. Charismatic leaders have led many churches astray. Now, if you happen to have the character and you got a lot of charisma too, that's great. I never had that yet. But if you have that, that's cool. But when leaders become more important than God, when you take your Bible to a leader and say, yeah, what about this? And he says, this is what my opinion is. And people defend it. You're in trouble. I've seen it. I've been there. And our methods. Our methods must be love and prayer and service. It doesn't make you look successful to the world. But our methods must be love, prayer, and service. Not creating walls, having power, or subjugating other people. Subjugation doesn't change people's hearts. Service can. Power doesn't change people's hearts. Prayer can. The law doesn't change people's hearts. But the gospel does it every single day.
But you know, we can be real critical of the church. How about us? What about the individual follower of Jesus? I call you to the simple truth you started with. The individual, follow, the individual follower of Jesus that makes up the church, those little stars that came together to form the bride. The first thing we need to do is be concerned with obedience to the will of God. That is success. We need to be obedient to his will as expressed in his word, which means we need to know his word. In some of the issues that have come up lately, I've talked to people and they've said, well, you know, I really don't know what the Bible says about that. I've just always agreed with what my father said or my pastor said or what this book said. We need to get into the Word and find out what, if we're going to do God's work His way, what does He really want from us? How would Jesus respond in these situations? And we need to be obedient to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Are any of you familiar with the old time term that we grew up with called having a check in your spirit? Well, you're about to do something. It happens a lot when you're talking. You're about to do something. You're about to talk. Sometimes it happens in the boat, too. Doesn't it happen? You're about to say something. You get a little tap on the shoulder by the Holy Spirit and say, no, 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 don't say that. And then you have an opportunity at that point to change. But I don't know how many times I've looked back at the Holy Spirit and said, yeah, but this is good. And we all and regretted it later. Or they deserve it. And the God of the universe in their heart says, no, 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 just why don't you stop? I don't really, no, 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 you don't understand. You ever said to God, you don't understand? I have. Kind of embarrassing, isn't it? You don't understand. You don't know what it's like. Really? People say, well, God doesn't know what to suffer God with her. Jesus died on the cross. And his father had to watch. Tell me he doesn't understand suffering. I don't think that's true. We must value what God values. We must not value what the world values. We must value interdependence rather than independence. Now, in our nation, we are a group of independent people. But God values interdependence. We need one another. That's what the scripture teaches. We must value piety over power. We are never going to change the world for God through power. We are only going to change the world through God through prayer and love and service. But most importantly is relationship. It's tough. Alex has said it in this series. Religion is easier than relationship. My real call to you today is you want to be a part of this future church that's successful before God. Get closer to Him. If every one of us moves closer to Him, then the entire church takes a shed. Think about that. So let's conclude. We can't be lazy as we seek God's way of building the church. We can't follow the latest trend, the latest leader, the latest program, whatever's written up in the latest book. I'm older than I think all of you here. I don't know how many times the greatest secret in the life of the church came out and we all went out and bought the book 
and we tried to implement it in our churches, and then 10 years later, that person had a moral falling out, and the book was for sale at the Bible books where they still had it. They didn't throw them out, but it was 50 cents a copy rather than going out. You must carefully know and study the word. Let's do it together. Let's do it separately. We must follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. We must grow in our relationship with the Lord by hanging out with Him. Prayer, meditation, spending time in His Word. We grow through hanging out with other people. Our relationships grow that way. We need to do the same thing with Jesus. And as you get involved in ministry, sometimes you're so busy running the ministry that you, the first thing that goes is hanging out with Jesus. And that's the last thing that we can ever get rid of. And we must remember, we cannot do this alone. We're going to do God's work, God's way. We do it together. That's the way he's called us to do it. Each one of us has certain gifts and talents. And when we come together, it is something amazing and beautiful and effective. And we can't do it without God. During that same evening before he gave his life for his friends, Jesus said, I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me, let's keep that relationship, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Be successful in God's eyes. I love this church. Stay close to Jesus, and this church will be very successful in God's eyes. There are people that need the message that's not only shared from this pulpit, but that is embodied in your hearts. That love for Jesus and understanding what he did for you, that you carry with you. The world needs that. Stay close to him. Get close to others. And you will see this fruit. Thank you very much. Thank you.